G'day folks and welcome to another Equip podcast for 2023. We're beginning our journey through bite-sized church history, going back to the end of the 300s where we meet one of the Herculean figures of church history, Augustine. And on Sunday just gone by, I wanted to introduce you guys to the story of how God saved Augustine. It's an incredible story. I hope that you were there to hear it. Uh, If not, my teaching notes are right there uh, on the website and you can read through the story in full that we looked at on Sunday. But I do just want to give you a sort of 10 minute summary of what that story is today here on the podcast, as well as leave you with a few questions to think through that come up from the way that God saved Augustine. And we're going to trace through some of those questions as we meet to discuss his theology of grace this Sunday. So bit of an introduction to Augustine. Uh, He's one of the most well-known Christian figures today, of course, and has written over 100 books, 300 letters, authored over 500 sermons, and that's just what we have surviving from him these days. But his conversion story doesn't start in a library or a classroom or even a church, for that matter. It starts with a fruit tree. You may remember from Sunday that Augustine was a bit of a ruffian in his younger years, and he and his mates, when they were probably teenagers, found a pear tree, and they decided to hop the fence, shake all the pears off the tree, and then gather them up and throw them at a herd of pigs, the sort of thing that teenagers do. Now, this event stuck in Augustine's mind for a lot of his life, and it really sort of was an earwig for him that uh, showed him something about his sinfulness. This is what he said years later. The pleasure I got was not from the pears, It was from the crime itself, enhanced by the companionship of my fellow sinners. Why did I find such delight in doing that which I would not have done alone? Behold, my God, the lively review of my soul's career is laid bare before you. I would not have committed that theft alone. When they say, let's go, let's do it, we are ashamed not to be shameless." Augustine found that when he was in the company of fellow sinners, it brought out the worst in him, and in fact, in his view, brought out his true nature, that he delighted in sin. He delighted in doing things that were wrong. He delighted in suppressing the truth and going the opposite way to God's will. The problem was that even though he delighted in sin, he reflected that it didn't actually make him happy. His famous quote is that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And that would sort of be a motto over his teenage years and his 20s until he was converted at the age of 31 or 32. Now, uh, in that intervening time, he lived a life of lust when he was uh, at university in Carthage. Uh, He took a young woman to be his concubine. Uh, not quite a wife, sort of, we would say, a de facto relationship. They had a child very early on. And what Augustine said about that relationship was that I was not yet in love, but I loved the idea of love. It was a sweet thing to be loved and more sweet still when I was able to enjoy the body of a woman. And in those days, I lived with a woman and she remained nameless in all of his writings. She was not my lawful wife, but a woman whom I had chosen for no special reason, but that my restless passions had alighted on her. That wouldn't be the kind of relationship you'd probably want to be in, would it? Uh, Imagine if someone said that to you, hey, um, you're as good as any. 
<laughs> I think you look great and uh, and I feel very passionate about you. Why don't we move in and we'll have a child and we'll we'll form a relationship? Not really that romantic, is it? Now, what he said as well was that I surrendered myself entirely to lust, which God's law forbids, but human hearts are not ashamed to sanction. Really quite a desperate situation that he was in. He knew that his lust had led him to this relationship that he was really in on, on the one hand, but also on the other hand, felt sort of pulled into. Suddenly he found himself with a child. He wasn't sure if he actually wanted a child, but his lust had led to the birth of his son. Uh, this was also true in the area of ambition. He said that I was pleased with my superior status. I was swollen with conceit. He did actually very well at university and then got a, a pretty illustrious job straight after. He said it was my ambition to be a good speaker for the unhallowed and inane purpose of gratifying human vanity. And so Augustine had this journey with lust on the one hand and ambition on the other that were both very self-focused, that were dominated by desires and impulses, and that in the end left him unhappy. In fact, at one point, he sent away his concubine after being with her for about 14 years uh, and then was set to marry a young woman that his mother was more pleased with, except she turned out to be underage and he couldn't wait to marry her. So what he did instead was send her away and take on a mistress instead. And he had a series of affairs uh, really just to try and um, uh, soothe the ache in his soul that he was trying to sort of uh, band-aid over with lustful expression. What he said was, I exhausted myself in depravity, intent on withdrawing still further from you, God. I loved my own way, not yours, but it was a truant's freedom that I loved. And he prayed, give me chastity and self-control, but not yet, <laughs> for I was afraid that you would answer my prayer at once and cure me too soon of the disease of lust. I wonder if you found yourself in a similar situation to Augustine, where you've prayed for God to help you fight sin in your life, but you've also held back some part of yourself saying, oh Lord, if only you would not yet cure me because I want to still enjoy this sin. He looked for hope in other religions, such as Manichaeism, which was kind of like Gnosticism. It um, said that you could sin in your physical form and it wouldn't sort of taint your spirit. And he did that for a number of years, but found it to be fairly bankrupt. He looked for it in the philosophy of Neoplatonism, sort of this search for perfection, um, you know, living up to the perfect form. Uh, but that too didn't quite help him. Uh, in the end, he was powerless to choose what was good, and he was powerless to solve the, the problem of his sin. And it was only when God actually saved him miraculously at 32 years old that he found the power to overcome sin. Uh, what happened was he was listening to a bishop called Ambrose at the invitation of one of his friends. Initially, he was there just to pick up some speech techniques from Ambrose because he was a speech writer for the emperor. Uh, and then uh, in the end, however, God actually spoke to him through the preached word. And Augustine was sure that he heard God's voice through the word and through preaching as, as Ambrose unpacked it. Um, however, he still couldn't find the means of sort of getting the strength to enjoy God. He'd still go back to his sin. It all culminated on one day when he was doing a uh, Bible study 
with one of his friends and um, he ran out of the room just impacted by some of the things that he'd been thinking about. He broke down in tears under a tree and there as he broke down in tears over his sin, he heard a voice, the voice of a boy or a girl, a young child that was calling out, take it and read, take it and read. And he wasn't sure, again, if this was a game that um, kids were playing in the, the next door garden or something like that. But what he says, what he, it stemmed his flood of tears and he stood up telling himself that it could only be by divine command to open a book of scripture and read the first passage on which his eyes should fall. And that passage was Romans 13, verses 13 to 14. Not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels and in rivalries. Rather, arm yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend no more thought on nature and nature's appetite. And he knew in an instant there that the only solution to his problem of sin was to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness as a gift and then find out of the gratitude of receiving salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, he would be able to delight in Jesus and in holy appetites rather than in sinful ones. And it seemed like overnight he was a changed man. He put off his mistress. Uh, he resolved to be celibate, to no longer be in a relationship with a woman. And then in a couple of years time, a year or two, I think it was, he changed his job. So he left his illustrious career as a lecturer at the University of Milan and as a speechwriter for the Roman Emperor and instead resolved to live a life of devotion to the Lord. And he summarizes, I think, his journey with God's grace here uh, in his beautiful poem that says, Late have I loved you, beauty so ancient, so new. Late have I loved you. And see, you were within, inside me, and I was outside. And out there I sought you, and I, misshapen, chased after the beautiful shapes you had made. You were with me, but I was not with you. Beautiful things kept me far off from you, things which, if not in you, would not be, not be at all. You called and shouted out and shattered my deafness. You flashed, you blazed, and my blindness fled. You were fragrant, fragrant, and I drew in my breath and panted for you. I tasted you and hunger and thirst for more. You touched me and I burned for your peace. Now, what a change there was in Augustine's life when the grace of God sought him out, grabbed him and saved him. I'd love for you to reflect more on Augustine's life. Uh, one question would be, what do we learn about the nature of sin? And another would be, what do we learn about the nature of God's grace? We're going to unpack those more as we look at Augustine's theology of grace when we meet this Sunday, and I hope to see you there.